HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca. Ithaca, New York boasts an authentic craft beverage experience, tasty farm-to-table culinary adventures, and scenic outdoor recreation among 150 waterfalls. Plan your trip today with help from visitithaca.com. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. It's HRN's 10th anniversary and now our summer fun drive. So show your support for independent, revolutionary, entertaining food radio by becoming a monthly recurring donor. HRN is powered by a passionate community of thoughtful eaters, and we need each and every one of you to show your support so that we can keep bringing you your favorite food podcasts. It takes a village, and every dollar donated, every listener tuning in is essential to our continued success. So set up a donation for $10 every month. You'll show us that you want to be a part of a bright future for HRN. And you'll get one of our brand new limited edition Pizza Pocket t-shirts. So snag your new favorite tea and show us some love. All for the price of about two fancy lattes each month. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate today. And thank you. Hi, I'm Allie Kane. Welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building and growing consumer brands. When we launched a line of fresh sauces, I knew we were jumping into something crazy. Haven's Kitchen is a cooking school, cafe, and event space. A product that people buy in grocery stores is an entirely new business, and I had a lot to learn. So in my efforts to get myself educated, I started meeting everyone I know and respect who could advise me on production and distribution, sales and legal, PR, and social media. Then I started having those conversations here as a podcast so that other entrepreneurs can learn from them as well. This is the story of Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Hawa Hassan, founder and CEO of Baz Baz Sauce, a line of condiments inspired by her country of origin, Somalia. Born in Mogadishu, Hawa came to the U.S. alone as a refugee at seven. Now she's a cookbook author and a founder with an amazing product and a truly inspiring story. 
I'm so excited you're here. I feel like I've been trying. It's episode 40 is today. I feel like episode <laughs> two. I was like, can you come on my podcast? And you were like, yeah. I know. Thank you for Eventually. having me. Um, so you do have, I mean, a lot of times we start off this podcast with like, what were you like as a kid? And what did you want to be? And we don't usually get kind of, you know, stories like yours. So I know you talk about it a lot, but if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, what it was like to come here at seven by yourself and sort of what you knew was going on and what you thought was going to be happening and where you landed and who, you know, who the people were around you and all of that. Um, yeah. So in, uh, what, 1989, there was a war, a civil war in Somalia that had broken out, and my family were some of the first people to leave, and mm-hmm. we ended up in a refugee camp in Kenya. My parents at the time were in the middle of a divorce, and so my mother and my three siblings um, and myself ended up going to a refugee camp, uh, not because we needed to, but because my mother wanted to get out of right. Africa and my mother was also interested in just like leaving that life behind Um, and a year in the refugee camp my mother decided that the kids needed to go to school and so we set up shop in Nairobi where my mom for the first time in her life was working as an adult and she owned a a gold store which she still owns till today a gold store Uh, mm -hmm, Uh a, a store where she sold gold wow um and then my mother ended up marrying the man who does the money exchange at the market, uh-huh. which later took her down a whole nother path. But in 1993, there was a space for a little girl to join nine other Somali people uh, to go to Seattle, Washington. How, what, what does that mean? There was a space like w- so. The sponsorship was for ten people, and they had they speci- like specifically said yeah. there's room for a little girl. There, there was. It was wow. Uh, um, so we were sponsored. Um, from a group of Jewish people in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And there were eight men, one little boy, and one little girl on the sponsorship. Wow. And your mom chose you. Oh, yeah. My mom was like, my daughter will go. We're going to follow right behind her. And so you set off with these nine other people Yeah, that you knew or you did not know? I did not know them. One of them was to be responsible for me, and he was a grandfather. He's what we call an awowo. Right. And he was going to be my legal guardian, um, until my mom got to America. And, um, I feel like I know that that did not end up happening. Yeah. (laughs) So who, what family, so you were with a family when you got here or no, No. it was the 10 of you living together or you were with the grandfather. So everybody quickly left because though we came as a family, most people didn't know one another. So some people went off to Minnesota, other people went off to Ohio, Um, so then left were about five of us and I was one of those people and we lived in a two bedroom apartment off of Rainier Avenue in Seattle, Washington. Was the little boy there also? No, he, he had family in Ohio. So he left. Oh my gosh. So it was you and these four older people. Right. And, and okay, wait, I have so many questions. So, and, (laughs) and does your mom tell you now why she chose you as opposed to your siblings? Well, there was space for a little girl. I was the oldest girl. I got it. So you were the oldest girl. I was the closest um, in terms of like what was needed for the sponsorship. Wow. And you were the oldest and you were seven and there were four ha- of I you. I have an older brother. Right. I see. Okay. Um, his name is Muhammad. He's 
almost two years older than okay. me. Okay. And then how did, I mean, did they, did the organization that brought you over help you find a spot in school or was that completely just left to the group of people that you were now living with? Um, no, they, they arranged for everything. So as soon as we got here, we got our green cards, we got our social security cards. Wow. Um, then I was placed in a world school until, mm-hmm. um, I was able to test out, which happened very quickly. And then I was placed right into elementary school. Wow. And did you keep thinking that your mom was coming? Oh yeah. I think until sixth grade, I was like, Oh, she's my, coming. my siblings are coming. My mom is coming. I better be a good girl. Wow. That's crazy. And then uh, talking about food a little bit, like, Mm -hmm. did you, were you, you know, like the closest thing that I have as a reference point is um, when Homa came on the show and she was talking about yogurt Mm -hmm. and she was saying that, you know, because they left in the middle of a civil war also, Mm -hmm. she left with her family. It was different, but that the yogurt really the flavors of the yogurt and the making of the yogurt really just like connected her with something that she missed, even though she was little when she left. And I'm just wondering, like, did the food, you know, did sort of traditional Somali food, was that a part of your life when you were a little girl or were you just immediately more into sort of like Americanized food or did you, you know, did, was it a part of your experience at all? Yeah. I mean, growing up in Mogadishu, like some of my, you know, Favorite memories involve eating papaya from our papaya tree, eating dates, you know, having tea at a very small age with my mom, having like a little bit of our shah, which is our tea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on in Kenya, I became kind of the big helper. So mm-hmm. I was like my mom's other set of hands. Um, I was to watch the younger kids. And you were seven. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and make angelo in the morning, which is like a, a, our pancake. Um, and, you know, I was boiling the water for pasta. Right. And so I had a lot of food memories when I came. Yeah. Um, and obviously, like, just the smells of, like, the tea in the morning yeah. and, you know, our cardamom and cloves and cinnamon, like, all these things that my mom would make or uns, which is, like, this charcoal that we burn. So those things, like, lingered for me for a long time. Yep. But once I realized that they weren't coming, I was like, I better start eating hot dogs and pizza. Right. And that was around <laughs> sixth grade. Yeah. And did you continue to live with the sort of... Packed together family for lack of a... Did you live with them all through high school? No. So I ended up getting really good at basketball. Part of my assimilation program that I made for myself was like, what are these kids doing? Okay, they're good at sports. Uh I better get an after school activity. So I joined the was basketball Was that a conscious team. assimilation program that you made for yourself? Or did no, you, you? I think just, it was out of survival. Right. Um, yeah. But now I look back, I was like, I was just falling in line everywhere I went. Yeah. You know? Um, so I joined the girls' basketball team in middle school. I got really good. I had coaches who were really interested in me as a person mm-hmm. who, That's great. who, you know, wanted to protect me. Right. And um, just before middle school was over, I had an AU coach. Um, I played on an elite basketball team at this point who said that I should go and live with the teammate's parent, um, the uh-huh. teammate's family. She was a little younger than me, but I ended up living with them, and they were this, like, super well-to-do family in Seattle. So I went from like catching the bus at 9 p.m. to like being driven to school. Wow. And that was what grade? (laughs) Uh, I was going into the ninth and I was really young for my age because of the way the papers were done. And so I was like tiny and like. (laughs) So you ended up moving in with this family and did you live with them all through high school? Yep. 
And how did you then get into modeling? Because I know that that was sort of the next leap. Um, When I was in high school, my best friend Devin modeled. She was a ballerina and a dancer on our school team. And I played on the girls team for the basketball team. And I became really close to her. And uh, she would always talk about her castings and things like that. And so Mm -hmm. freshman year of college, I think that summer going into college, I went to her agency with her. And Paige, her booker at the time, just said something like, you should be modeling too. Right. And then she set up a test for me, and I started booking really great jobs. I was like, I've never seen money like this. Yeah. And um, the conversation went, and it was like, you should move to New York. And so did you move to New York? Did you go to college? I did. I was there for two years. In and, Seattle. Yep. Right. Uh, going into the third year, I was like, I've got to capitalize on this opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you, I mean, how did you even pay for college? I got a scholarship the first two amazing. years because of basketball. That's amazing. Yeah, the Rotary Boys and Girls Club gave me money. <laughs> <laughs> and did you? And so you lived on like at college, or did no? You, I lived, you stayed with the family. No, I went and got. I went and rented a room from Devin's parents. Right. Oh the first gosh. couple years of school, and then I I went and got a place with my modeling money after that. This is so wild. Did you stay in touch with the family clock, quote unquote, that you came over with at mm. all? Or? Oh, um, well, the grandpa ended up dying shortly after. Uh, like, I think by the time I graduated high school. Right. And then some of them I would run into in Columbia City where I grew up um, at the Starbucks. But there wasn't really a need for us to stay in touch. Wow. So you really like raised yourself. Huh? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, okay. So... How long did you model for? Uh, 14 years. Wow. So you yeah. had like a full-on modeling career and it, it took you to New York City mm-hmm. and it was, it, did you, when was the first time that you saw your mom and your family? Uh, 2008, so November, Thanksgiving weekend, November of 2008. So that was how many years? 15 years. Holy mackerel. <laughs> and what was that like? Um. I'm just trying to remember of like me standing on the curb in Oslo. So my my family lives in Norway now. Right. Um, I mean, I remember feeling like, wow, my mom and I look just alike. I mean, nothing had changed. You know, no time had gone by. Right. Um, I was excited that my brother was like driving and they were super European and they had created created this great life for themselves in Norway. Did it ever cross your mind that you would want to move there and live that life with them or no no I mean I think that if I were like in middle school and my mom demanded I move right that would have been very different but once I got into high school I was like yeah you know I was like my I got emancipated from the family I came with like I was my own guardian yeah Um, that's wild so they couldn't have talked me into moving to Europe and so modeling I mean how did you segue from modeling to creating a sauce line (laughs) (laughs) um I think I I enjoyed modeling in the sense that it was an adventure, mm-hmm. which my life had always kind of been. Uh, yeah. But I'd I didn't say. feel like I belonged in modeling. I didn't feel like I was, I didn't feel like I was being of service. And like, mm-hmm. I really always wanted to be a person who gave back. And um, so much had been given to me by so many different strangers. And right. Um, I enjoyed modeling for what it was, but I knew that it wasn't somewhere I was going to be for a long time. And truthfully, like modeling isn't what it is now. It wasn't inclusive. Right. You know, it was like one black girl 
her hair had to be a certain way. She had to be a certain height. Her hips had to be a certain size. Um, and I, I'm not competitive in that way. Right. You know? And so I So did, you weren't going to, like, angle out to be, like, the one, you know, black woman that was chosen for no. the... No. And I did for a while. Right. I mean, for a while, I was like, this pays the bills. Like, yeah. I, my hips could, you know, be this. My hair could be longer. Right. And I did for a long time. But it wore me out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I can imagine... I can imagine you just being exhausted... I, I barely leave from yeah. your whole life. I mean, <laughs> candidly, I don't yeah. like, it's kind of amazing. Well, I'm you know? more tired now than I've ever been. Right. My well, friends are like, welcome What's to wrong? entrepreneurship, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My friends are like, yeah. what's wrong? I'm like, I'm exhausted. It's like when they, when they have, um, the, you know, the professional athletes and they have to like <laughs> watch a kindergarten class for a half an hour and right. they can't function after it's, yeah. you know, it's like you're doing something completely different. So getting back to the sauce, so did you, is it something that you were just making in your food and your friends would come over and they'd be like, I wish this was in a jar or like, how did it, how did you go from sort of like, what was the impetus to starting the company? So I didn't cook at all before this, before I became a food entrepreneur. Um, But I went back to my family in 2014 and it was month of Ramadan. Um, and that year it was in middle of June is when it started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I took my blender with me. I took my Vitamix because I, I was telling my mom, I was like, oh, I can't fast. Cause, like I'm modeling and like, I don't want to get out of shape and right. I have to work out twice a day. And so I was blending my green juices every day. And at some point came the conversation of like me being the house cook since like everyone else was fasting. Right. So I would make them American breakfast or I would make porridge the way they like it, like at night, right. you know. And then I started blending these sauces that my mom was like shouting directions, which best best, <laughs> like all of us in Somalia make it. It's our ketchup. Right. Baspas just is the word for sauce. So- it's right? chili. It just chili. means right. chili. So it's like our national hot sauce. Right. Um, and so... I just kept blending them, blending them. And towards the end of summer, I remember telling my mom, I was like, I don't want to model anymore. Like, should I go back to school and work at the UN? Like, mm-hmm. what should I do? And my mom had like, my mom is an entrepreneur still. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, and so I think up came the conversation of like me having, like what a, bothered me so much about modeling is that I wasn't in control Mm -hmm. and so when I came back I went to Seattle I rented out my apartment in New York went to Seattle and I told my best friend I was like I think I'm gonna like start talking about what it means to be other and Somali and immigrant and refugee and like I could really do this from a very you know high level place absolutely while creating food and so I started with the condiments and right and there you go there it is and when did you know that you had you know I I feel like there's a there's a moment where we all kind of realize like, okay, wait, people are actually buying this mm-hmm. and they are picking up what we're putting down, as Maddie would say. So did you do you remember being like, oh, I'm onto something here? Like, do you remember a particular time or a particular um, buyer or just like a moment when you decided to quit your day job and actually do this for a living? Yeah, I you know, I think one of the bigger things about I guess my success is that like I'm never I've never been very attached to outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so I was creating these sauces for myself. I was creating them to like connect with my family and like my roots and like, you know, center myself in my narrative of being Somali. And what was important to me was like people listen to my story and people 
tasted food from Somalia yep. before sharing with me what they thought Somalia was. Yep. Um, but I still, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I so care about people trying Somali food and like reading these cookbooks and eating these sauces, but I, I don't know if I still feel like, you know, right. Of course it is. And like, I see it, but like maybe when the company gets acquired in about five years, right. I'll be like, <laughs> They picked up what I put down. Right. (laughs) Okay. Well, on that note, um, we're going to take a little break and we'll come back and get all the advice that you can give to other founders out there. Fun. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca. Located in New York's Finger Lakes region, Ithaca boasts an authentic craft beverage experience, tasty farm-to-table culinary adventures, and scenic outdoor recreation. As the saying goes, Ithaca is gorgeous. The city is home to 150 waterfalls and gorges sprinkled through its downtown and sloping hillsides. State parks and acres of natural lands offer outdoor recreation for every level of enthusiast. Come stroll among the cool ravines, scenic hiking trails, and natural vistas. Ithaca is home to Ivy League Cornell University and Ithaca College, resulting in an influx of new cultures, new tastes, and new energy every year. There's so much to explore, from art galleries and museums to unique attractions like the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Ithaca sits at the heart of a blossoming heritage and craft cider industry. Some of these delicious ciders can be bought in market, but many of the most unique varieties can only be experienced with a visit to Ithaca and this great cider region. Go to visitithaca.com to get inspired and plan your trip today. I am back with Hawa Hassan, founder of Bas Bas Sauce. Um, So... I mean, your story is so amazing. And I think one of the things that you just said that really got me was that you really created this product for yourself on some level. And you created this product to connect with roots that had been pretty abruptly ripped up. And I think you also, if I'm reading it right, you kind of created the product as a platform for a discussion starter in a way. Absolutely. Yeah. And the discussion is about being, you know, different Mm -hmm. and having, I mean, it sounds like having a story that isn't told very often being told. And I think what's kind of beautiful about it is that like those stories get told through food Mm -hmm. almost better than any other medium. At least that's how I see it. Is that kind of where you're coming from? Yeah. I mean, I always say this, but like. The table's long enough for everybody, you know, mm-hmm. and this country's really good at experiencing other cultures through food. And I knew that if I were, if I were to get myself to the table or create a table for myself, others would come. Right. And so I, I always say this, but what I'm really interested in is in building longer tables and shorter fences. Yeah. Um, just by sharing my story, I look like the girl next door. Right. You know, and so people feel safe with me. They feel safe around me. And yep. there's so many people that are displaced folks all over the world. Yeah. Um, 
that are just like me. Yeah. You know? Well, I think, and, you know, for our purposes here, like when we're talking about, you know, all the different advice that we can give to people that are, that are starting businesses or kind of in the sauce like we yeah. are, um, you know, I think a lot of times they have a product or they have a plan or they see like a quote unquote white space, right? Mm -hmm. They see this opening in the market, but they don't always have, they need to kind of figure out like the, the deep why, Right. You know, the, like the deeper sort of brand identity and who they are. Um, and you have that in spades. So I guess my question is taking that and then figuring out things like distribution and production. And, you know, I don't know. I'd love you to talk kind of through you had an idea. Right. And you had probably a couple of sauces that you made at home. And then what was your first step to going and finding someone to actually make them so that they were safe to bring to stores and that they made sense? And how did you do any sort of looking at the market or other sauces or what was out there or think about sort of things like, you know, the category or any of the kind of, you know, the stuff yeah. that we talk about? Yeah. So I had originally... When I got back to Seattle, I called a friend of mine named Harvey Fung, and I was like, this is what I want to do. And he was like, write a business plan. Uh-huh. And I was like, where do I start? Right. I mean, um, yeah. <laughs> but that's exactly what I did. I was like, what does the ethnic market look like? Mm -hmm. Who is in it? How much would it cost for me to make an eight-ounce jar? Mm -hmm. Where would I go? Who Who could produce this for me? You know, what is Cornell? Like, what is pH? Like, how does this... I know. And so, In our case, what is water activity? Right. <laughs> what is water activity? Yeah, I know. Um, and so then, once I did write that business plan, which I still glance back at mm -hmm. every other week, yep. it became a roadmap for yeah. me. Um, and... It became my Bible in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. and it's what I still follow to some degree, obviously with some updates and changes. Yeah, because you learn along the way. Right. But that's um, great. So and so for those, so let's talk about what specifically, right, that yeah. business plan looks like. Yeah. So uh, did you start with, what did you start with? Here, I have two, I have two flavors. Yeah. Right. I was like, what are the strengths and weaknesses? <laughs> like, right. You of, know. And you started off with just like ethnic. Right. 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 I was like, how do I get this on people's lips? You right. know, um, what are the challenges going to be into doing that? And then, uh, who were the big players in, in the ethnic yeah. food space? And it really was only about Indians and Mexican. Yeah. Uh, Indian food and Mexican food. And I knew that there and was Thai room, probably to some extent. Yeah. Right? Like. That's Asia, like yeah. um, Asia, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like people right. lump it up together, you right? Know? Like I know. In 2014, I don't know that even Korean food was as no. big as it is now, yeah, and so sure. the space has really grown. Yes, um, but I knew there was room for African cuisine. Yeah, for sure, um, and from a healthy place, right? Not yep. like big chunks of meat, lots of rice. Like, right. I was like, I can really do this. Um, can you describe? I mean, because even African cuisine is like so different. so different, right? So. I mean, I think of typical sort of West African, yeah. you know, peanut sauce and like sort of, I don't you know, like starchy, yeah. yummy things that I, I like foo foo. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Yasa, know that. Yeah, like that like sounds really good to me. <laughs> but tell me about sort of the flavor notes of Somali cuisine in particular. Yeah. And is there, you know, a lot of it has to do with sort of trade activity Absolutely. and water and where ships could land and you yeah. know the roads leading out. 
Right. So Somalia is on the Indian Ocean, and we have the longest coast in all of Africa. So you can imagine what importing and exporting looked like. Yeah. Um, a lot of the Indian spice trade went through Somalia, mm-hmm. carrying on down to Zanzibar. Um, and ultimately, it affected what we eat, sure. right? So yeah. we eat a lot of warm spices. And I try to tell everybody, our food is in your everyday pantry. Yep. It's cumin, it's cardamom, it's turmeric, it's cinnamon, it's cloves, it's ginger. Mm-hmm. And we were colonized by the Italians until 1960. Wow. So a lot of our, one of our biggest foods is pasta. Right. That's so, yeah. isn't that, this is why I love My mom so much, was born right? in, in, Itali- in, in Italy, Somalia. Like right. she grew up speaking Italian. So did my dad. They went so to like wild. all their formative education is from that country. And right. so... You know, when people don't know that, it's always mind-boggling to right. me. Hence, like, having to have these conversations, having to write a cookbook that says, hey, let's talk about the way food moved around the Indian Ocean. Because right. in Mozambique, they eat crepes. Right, yeah. You know, in, in or in Madagascar, they eat crepes. In right. Mozambique, they eat, you know, it's Portuguese. So it's right. Portuguese cuisine. I always have this image in my head of, like, I don't, you know, people sitting around a big table in Europe Mm -hmm. and, you know, the French guy being like, I want that one, you know, and the British guy being like, we're taking that. And just like literally just completely haphazardly with zero respect for any, anything, literally anything or anyone just kind of deciding where Africa, you know, who got what. Right. And then I guess the food just follows suit, ob- right. obviously. But the it's, food, the language, the religion. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So going back to, so, so in your business plan, mm-hmm. you sort of start off with product and then you think of like the market size yep. and who's going to have it. Then you started to think about what can I charge for this? Right. And then obviously you started thinking about like, how do I get this into people's mouths? Right. And you still, was there anything else kind of in there? Oh, did, I mean, how did you even begin to learn about production? Like, how did you even begin to a think about A lot of research. I mean, right. when people ask me for help now, I'm like, how much have you researched? Yeah. You know, know, there's so much information out yep. there. It's easier now to start a business than it's ever been Absolutely. before, you know, yep. including incorporating. Yeah. Um, and so I was online a lot. And then I had a lot of friends who had gone to Harvard Business School. So I tapped into my network. Yeah. I asked for help. I shared what I had. Yep. So they knew I was doing the work on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Harvey. Like, Harvey is a New Yorker who, you know, had been in the food space. He had a lot of contacts. And he's who introduced me to Whole Foods, which was my first right. yes. That's amazing. So you moved back to New York. April of 2015. Awesome. Yep. And then you started producing in upstate. Hot Bread Kitchen. Oh, you started in the incubator. I started Hot Bread Kitchen. Right, right, right. I okay. started Hot Bread Kitchen. I, I wanted to make sure that nobody could make the sauces better than me. Right. Um, but it wasn't what I was good at. Right. <laughs> yeah, we start. I mean, we had one production run there. And mm-hmm. then we got a second, like we, like we filled our first purchase order yeah. from Whole Foods and then 48 hours later, we got another one for four times the amount. Oh, my word. And we all just started crying. <laughs> like, we were, it was, it was like, yeah. and then we had to find a co-packer because right. there was just zero way to be making that kind of amount of sauce at, you know, that incubator kitchen. Yeah. But it was amazing. It's amazing that they do that, you know. 
I think there just need to be so many more places where you can kind of go from your tabletop to... Right. And especially since co-packers won't take you unless you have certain volumes. Right. So how did you find one that did? Um, so before I even went to Hot Bread Kitchen, mm-hmm. I was Googling co-packers in New York City. And I had found a man who pointed me to Beth Linsky, who used to own... Um, Best Farm Kitchen yeah. in Stuyvesant Falls. And those and are she, those amazing jams that are at yeah. Union Square Green Market. Yes. Yeah, and she'd been doing those for 33 years at that point. And she became my mentor. She took me yeah. under her wing and said, you know, here's the buyer at such and such place. It's amazing. You know, don't And use were they doing anything savory or were they only doing jams and sort of like chutneys that had maybe well, a little Well, they had their own something. hot sauce. Oh, they did? Mm-hmm. They have they a have couple of hot sauces even now. Um, so they that. were, I went up there and I stayed for two nights mm-hmm. and we did a run together and everything tasted yummy. Mm. And from there on, it was like, how do we how do we help you scale? You know, I had a lot of what people look for in Beth. Mm-hmm. Um, I had it in one person, yeah. you know? No, that's amazing. And so you went to Whole Foods. Yeah. And you had you still had those two SKUs. Yeah. Harvey introduced me to Ellie Trushdale. Yeah. Who's and great. Ellie said yes right away. Yeah. Uh, she's a dear friend now. Yeah, she's the best. Um, and then it was like, okay, I got to change my labels. Right. Because these were like labels I had created right. on the internet. Exactly. <laughs> like so you needed to, Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So then you needed to like figure out, and did you do your own logo or did you like, do that on the um, internet too like well originally, 99 designs or whatever it is yeah, yeah so originally i had like a bunch of people bid on it online it right was like 99 designs or something yeah and then when i got into whole foods ellie was like should we do these and i was like well i don't want to part ways with the camel right you know and so i she introduced me to somebody who was great and yeah it's amazing how you know if you i think one of the big lessons for me is that really building that relationship you know, it, for me, it was John Lawson. For mm-hmm. you, it was Ellie. For, right. you know, other people, it's other stores. But right. building that relationship with a buyer is really important. And it's not just because they can put you on the shelf. Right. It's because they can give you so much guidance. You know, they've seen so many brands and they know what works and they know what can give you a little bit of support. Right. And I don't know that people invest enough time in those relationships. And, 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 not because they're using the buyers, but yeah. because they're really investing time in the relationships, right. you know? Okay, so you started selling at Whole Foods. They were your first yes. Yeah. You, as I recall, you were distributing it yourself. But, right. So you were going to the different Whole Foods and just dropping off sauce. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Are you still doing that? No. Now we, oh, thank God. Now we have a team. Okay. And I think we're even going distribution routes soon. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm getting too far ahead of myself, but no. <laughs> okay. Okay. And so then what happened? So Whole Foods was going well. And then Dean and DeLuca comes on board. And then Dean and DeLuca came on board. And Dean and DeLuca said, we'll put you in all of our stores. Okay. And so... And I was like, sure. Okay. And so that started going well. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. And then has it just continued to grow from there? Right. So like small grocers... Um, our online store does really well. Yeah, I was going to ask you about yeah. the online because we can't obviously yeah, do that. Cold package. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, and the goal is really to have to, you know, you were direct to consumer. I think direct to consumer know. is the future. Yeah. Um, well, f- certainly for shelf stable yeah. in a lot of ways, right? 
um, and owning that customer and being able to like communicate directly with that customer. So you're probably like, are you half and half right now? Yeah. Um, I think we do better almost online. Got it. Um, Do you sell on Amazon? We don't sell on Amazon yet, but we're going to change our jars, um, into like recyclable plastic and then we're going to be able to go to got it got it um so where are you like what are the pain points right now and Um, i guess the second question is what would you have done differently yeah now like knowing now what you do now (laughs) does that make sense yeah yeah what would i have done differently Um, would you have thought of something you know earlier would you have started focusing on something earlier would you have wasted less time doing something than another thing I think I would have hired people sooner Mm -hmm. um to drive sales through places like Whole Foods you know it's really important to support demo um I think that I really was focused on making sure that I knew every aspect of the business so I got held up doing a lot of things by myself even having a co-founder might have made a difference for me um, but I ended up doing a lot of things myself, which took a very long time because I was yeah. also like pitching a cookbook. I yeah. was also like pitching a TV show. I right. was, you know, so I had like a lot of balls in the air trying to have the conversation from many different avenues. So I would have hired sooner. And specifically, I mean, I talk in here a lot again, because for us, it, you know, it's almost like an old school playbook. It's mm-hmm. like demo, 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 yeah. demo, demo with a little bit of digital media right. thrown in. Demo, demo, <laughs> demo, demo, exactly. demo. And, um, you know, obviously it's harder today than ever. It's easier. It's it's kind of a weird situation, yeah. right? It's easier than ever to start a brand. It's easier than ever to get money when yeah. you don't have sales. Right. So those of us who are selling a product are actually competing with companies that are just com- coming out of the gate Mm-hmm. with all of this venture money behind them, it, you know, it makes for an interesting challenge. <laughs> then we have not only like the in-store demos and all of the promotions that we need to do to support, you know, the buyers and the grocery stores, but we need to be connecting with consumers digitally right. and on our social media and everything. So I think for a minute there, people thought that maybe we wouldn't have all of the demos and the slotting fees and the circulars and all that stuff because we would just be like, take my product. I have such a great online following. Right. That's just not how it works. Now it's just both. So right. you have to be kind of everything to everyone. Yeah. Um, so do you feel like the you would have put more of an emphasis on the distribution thing and sort of taken that out of your hands? Or do you think you would have just started with demos and sort of like getting people in the stores and like making friends with buyers earlier? Um, I think... The latter, I would have, I would have built a team that was capable of doing that. Right. Um, but I also didn't want to take money. Yeah. I didn't want to give away any of my business, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to get into bed with people too soon. Yep. Not knowing if I were going to be able to scale this thing. Right. And how do you feel now? I feel really good. I'm taking money. <laughs> I'm like, give me your money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you feel like you can scale it. Oh, yeah. But I yeah. also like now know that I don't have to do everything, right? Like there's right. somebody way better than me at operations. Yeah. There's a great marketing director. There's, you know, a CFO that can do numbers for yep. five years. That's way better than I am. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think... I think what it's like this little it's again it's a balance right because you don't necessarily have the money yet to right. do that but you invest right. 
you know, in those people early on so that you can build sort of an infrastructure that can then go make that kind right. of money. But it's not going to, I mean, for the first couple of years, you're definitely, and I, and I say it almost every episode because yeah. I feel like there are these sort of stories like she bootstrapped for 10 years right. and now she's a billionaire and right. I'm sort of like bootstrapping is not what you think it is. Like it's oh. a lot of money to get these things on <laughs> the, the shelf and to, you know, bootstrapping like, is like anxiety on a hundred. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what, um, so what are the pain points right now? Like what are you, I mean, how many stores are you in? How many stores do you want to be in? And like, um, how, are I think you... we're in 27 stores right now. I would like to be in Whole Foods Northeast before the year's over. Right. Throughout the whole region. Um, yeah, like I think just having a really strong team right now. Like I feel very confident that I have found the right partners, the right people. Yeah. Um, so that's not as achy as it used to be, but... And are you going to do more skews of Absolutely. the sauce or are you yeah. going to do other categories? No, the sauce, the idea is to really own an umbrella of condiments from the continent of Africa. Yeah. I keep telling everybody, I'm like, we will be Heinz with flavor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's there's definitely room for it. Like yeah. there's, there is no big, you know, I do a lot of sauce research, mm -hmm. if you haven't noticed. I actually <laughs> should share some of it with you. It's a very big market. Oh, yeah. It's like a $6 billion market. Um, and that doesn't include condiments or marinades. Um, but the, the, the way that the, you know, all the data is sort of sliced, one of the categories under the main market is simmer sauce add meat, which mm -hmm. I just think is funny. And then yeah. they have like Latin and then they have Asian and then they have like ethnic other, right? You know, I mean, like that's then me. they have barbecue, <laughs> right? I don't even yeah. know what we are. Like right. we don't even fall into any of those things. We're kind of, but it's just funny the way that like how anachronistic even the categories are. Yeah. But there is definitely no African, right? And there's and you know, so that's fun. So how do you? What's your product pipeline like? Like, are you already thinking about the next SKUs or are you doing it kind of regionally? No. Or, like, how are you thinking about so it? So we have four SKUs coming out. They're being scaled right now. Oh, that's so cool. Um, those come out and, you know, and how two did are you from come up West with Africa. So just, like, inspirations around me. Like, some of my closest friends are from Cameroon. Some of them are from Sierra Leone. Some of them are Somali. Some of them are Tanzanian. Right. Um, so two are from West Africa, Another two are from Somalia. Um, and then we're just going to go down the Indian Ocean. That's so you know, cool. Um, and dabble into West Africa. And are you going to change the packaging so that oh, it yeah. tells the story of oh, each yeah. place? Yeah. Exactly. We've been toying. I mean, I've, again, it's totally different again. But like, I feel like the label is like one inch. <laughs> yeah. And we have 85 things to say. No. And we don't. It's so hard to like tell the actual story but I feel like in your case you are very specifically talking about a, a region right you know whereas we're sort of like it's global and this one happens to be you know Catalan yeah what whatever. I do love about your package is that the pouch is big yes so yeah that but you know it's funny because of the side if yeah. you know we have very little actual area for a like mm. a sticker like a or it won't be a sticker it's like yeah. printed but you can't really print up into the little area yeah. where the spout is. So it, it's challenging. Oh. Um, okay. What do you wish you knew then that you know now? Other than the fact that you don't have to do everything by yourself. Um, 
I wish I knew, a friend said this to me recently and it really it was like an aha moment. She said, entrepreneurship is done inch by inch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what I know now is what I'm doing is enough. Yeah. And I think for a long time, I didn't feel like I was doing enough. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I didn't feel like I knew enough. Um, I was really hard on myself. I still can be a little hard on myself. As most um, highly, you know, successful people are. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> no, Maddie and I were talking about it today. She said she was feeling, I can quote you, right? Yeah. She said, um, because she has a big project kind of at hand, and she's like, I feel like I'm staring at a Word document, and the cursor is, like, flashing. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know, like, how to fill the the page like right. I kind of know what I want to say and I know what I want it to look like at the end and I know you know what I'm going for but I just don't know how to even yeah. approach this you know so I feel yeah. like that's most of us just have to start writing right and then you figure it out as you go and you and you tweak it as you go and as you learn and as you bring advisors in and people who are as you said like more experienced than you at this stuff yeah okay and then I have words of caution like, what would you say to someone who's like, I want to start a company tomorrow and I'm going to go make a bar or a cookie or a jar of sauce? Um, I would say educate yourself. Yeah. You know, um, find out about that market, you know, through and through before you go telling people that's what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And I would also say that, you know, your best your best asset is yourself. Like if you bring yourself fully to the table and in everything you do, you will attract the right people to help you figure out what the road is supposed to look yeah. like. Um, I think one thing I've learned from a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, being at trade shows or like seeing the same faces over and over is that a lot of people, even though food should connect folks, mm-hmm. it's not it doesn't always feel like now there's like a lot of tech bros in it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh-huh. it's so interesting. I'm like, this is food. You they saw white con- space. They I didn't know. see like a connection to anything. Like, right. King Wall. Let's, yeah. Let's exactly. Disturb. Blast the hell out of that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, yeah. I, I, that's a whole different story. Yeah. But yeah. And so I, for me, like connection is key. Yeah. And so I think people can taste it. I really do. I mean, I think that there's something visceral that happens. When you eat something that has a heart yeah, versus when it, you eat something that two dudes came up with to fill a white space right. in a market that they analyzed in their, you know, business school class. Right. I just Or do. a trip from Japan. <laughs> right. Or, yeah. They saw something. Okay. Um, and your best moment, like just a moment that has been special to you where you felt like you were doing something right or you were on the right path or um i i would say when people say yes Uh i'm not really attached to the yes or the no but i i do think that there is some validation that comes for me anyways because i'm doing something so new so you know when bone app says yes to something i'm like oh Yep. okay you know or when they when, like me they really like me yeah, yeah. <laughs> or i'm like they want they want to tell this story yes. um or i think m- probably the highlight is so far um you know having 10 speed by the cookbook 
Yeah. That was a big deal yeah, for me. Yeah, your cookbook. Let's talk about that for a minute. When's it coming out? What is it? What's the story? Uh, How do people so, get it? <laughs> so I'm writing a cookbook with my dear friend, Julia Tertian, yes. um, cookbook author, and just She's plain amazing. badass. Yeah. Uh, and it's about the Indian Ocean and the African countries that touch it. And it's from it's stories and recipes from grandmothers. Amazing. Because uh, we all have grandmothers. It's called In Baby's Kitchen, which means In Grandmother's Kitchen. Right. And yeah, it comes out September 2020 wow. by a 10 speed. So exciting. Yeah. And how do people buy your sauce? They they really want to be helpful. They can go to bestbestsauce.com. <laughs> so it's B-A-S-B-A-A-S. Sauce. Dot com. Dot com. Uh-huh. Or you can buy it at Green Grape, Dean and DeLuca, and some Whole Foods locations. Okay. Awesome. Hawa, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I think it's really fun because you are actually in the sauce yeah. with me. <laughs> You're like my first sauce person. Um, so um, I'm thrilled you were here today. I, you know, I feel like we could talk about you and your story forever, and I would love to learn more about the trade routes and the whole mm-hmm. stories of, I, I, I mean, you know, I'm like yeah. very nerdy about learning about food, Absolutely. but, um, Oh yeah. And we were featured in healthiest together. Maddie's oh, just holding were. up a picture. That was early days. Yay. <laughs> um, okay, everyone. Thank you so much for listening and how thank you again for being here. Buy your Boz Boz sauce, mm-hmm. put it on everything. Cause it's delicious. Yes. Um, and we'll see you next time on in the sauce. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.